0: Alright, good. We're going to jump in. Acts 10 is what we're going to look at today. One of the top ten most important chapters in all of the Bible, Acts 10. One of the most significant events in all of history happens in Acts 10. This is the longest uh, narrative in Acts. It's 67 verses. 67, the last 19 are just a summary of what what we'll have already looked at. Remember last week we said as we're walking through Acts, the grid to use is Acts 1.8. It's the best way of understanding the book. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. We've seen the gospel in Jerusalem. That's that's chapters 2 through 7. We've seen uh, the gospel penetrating into Judea. That's a geographic boundary, and that's it. We looked at that last week with Peter in Judea. A few weeks ago, we looked at the gospel penetrating into Samaria. That's not just a geographic boundary, but more importantly, it's a religious and an ethnic boundary as well. Way back when, the Jews and the Samaritans were part of the same tribe, and they split uh, hundreds of years before what we read in Acts. But there is a common foundation. They both, they, they both believe in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They both believe in the worship of Yahweh. So there's, common, there's some common history there. But there's been a lot of animosity and hostility. And in Acts 8, we saw Philip particularly breaking through that and the gospel being established in Samaria. Today we're going to look at really the floodgates being thrown open for the gospel to the world. This is not just geographic boundaries. These are significant religious and ethnic boundaries that are crossed today. It's a radical re uh, understanding of what it means to be the people of God or what God is expecting of his people. The question that underlines Acts chapter 10 is do you have to be a Jew in order to follow Jesus? And we all know the answer is no. I don't know if we have anybody in here who has Jewish heritage. If we do, it's, it's a minority. So for us, this is ancient history. But as Peter, his, who we'll be looking at today, is facing this question head on, again, it, it radically changes his understanding of what it means to be the people of God, of what God is looking for from people. So again, the question that underlines all of this, why it's so important, why it gets so much emphasis in the book of Acts, do you have to become a Jew in order to follow Jesus? If the answer had been yes, then Christianity would have remained a sect, S-E-C-T, within Judaism. Never would have broken out of that kind of Jewish subculture. But because the answer is no, which is what we'll look at today... Christianity truly is a global faith. So we're going to start in chapter 10, verse 1. This is the preparation for this encounter or this new understanding, this paradigm shift, if you want to use a cliche. This is the preparation of one of the two people, Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. So he was a soldier in charge of 100 soldiers. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So again, Cornelius, he's a soldier. Uh, He's a Gentile. He's a God-fearing Gentile. So he's someone who worships God from a distance. He's not a full convert to Judaism. He's not been circumcised. Most likely he doesn't follow the Jewish dietary guidelines. He's not allowed to enter very far into the temple, if at all. Because he is a Gentile, but there are three marks of a faithful Jew, prayer, fasting, and giving to the poor. And we see Cornelius in this one verse, he's doing at least two of the three. He's praying at three o'clock, which is a traditional Jewish time for prayer, and he's giving to the poor. So we see he is, he is faithful, and, and God sends an angel to him. And my, my paraphrase of that is, Cornelius, I've seen you seeking me. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to show you the next step. I think that's what's going on there. And as we look, Cornelius talks about that dream in some different ways moving forward. And that seems to be the heart of it. God has seen Cornelius' devotion. He's seen his faithfulness in seeking God. And so God is providing him the next step. And the way to do that is you send some guys 30 miles away to Joppa and you bring back this guy named Peter. So now we'll look at Peter and his preparation for this new understanding. About noon the following day, as this group of three from Cornelius's house were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on a roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened in something like a large sheet. So maybe like think of a picnic blanket being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, and they stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who is known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. There went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house, so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. So huge again not doesn't necessarily strike us as a big deal. So Peter goes up on the roof, it's a flat roof, it would be cooler up there, common for Jewish people to go up on their on the roof to pray. And as he's praying, he sees a vision. In the vision a picnic basket or picnic blanket comes down, he sees all kinds of animals. Now, if you want it this afternoon, if you want something to do, read Leviticus 11. It'll help put you to sleep. But you can see the background for Peter at this point. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, generation after generation after generation after generation, of his followers, his ancestors, followed Leviticus 11, which says, here's a list of food that you can eat. It's called clean. And here's a list of food that you can't eat. It's called unclean. That's, those were the distinctions, clean and unclean. You can eat anything that's clean. You can't eat anything that's unclean. We don't have time to get into it. It's, uh, it, it. It doesn't matter anymore because those distinctions have gone away. But you can go read in Leviticus 11. Here are the animals you can eat. You can eat a cow. You can't eat a pig. You can't eat a rabbit. You can't eat any reptiles. Here are the birds that you can eat. And all of that stuff is spelled out in Leviticus 11. And so for hundreds of years, all the way back to Leviticus, to the time of Moses, For the Jewish men and women, they've understood this is how God wants us to eat. He cares about our diet, and this is what he says we can eat. This is what distinguishes us. We're a holy people. We're separate from these other nations surrounding us. And one of the clearest marks of separation, in addition to the Sabbath, not not working every day of the week is our dietary food laws. We don't eat the same thing that they eat, and we don't cook our food the same way any of them cook their food. It's one of the distinguishing characteristics of what it means to be a Jew or what it means to be the people of God. All of that is getting turned on its head with one vision. Peter has to be completely disoriented. I can't think of a parallel for us if God appeared to you in a vision and said, Everything that you've ever known, every, it was, it's written down in Leviticus 11. The revelation that I previously gave your ancestors, don't worry about that anymore. You can eat anything on this picnic blanket. And this picnic blanket has representatives of all of the animals. Even though in Peter's mind, he's like, half of those things are unclean. I, I've never touched that stuff before. Three times God has to say, Peter, you can, do, you can eat this. Again, totally bewildering for him. He's still trying to figure out what's going on. Cornelius' guys show up. The Holy Spirit says to Peter, go downstairs. There's some guys. You can go with them. They're Gentiles. So a Jew would not go into a Gentile's house. You'll see Peter says that in a minute when he gets to Cornelius' house. A Jew wouldn't go into a Gentile's house because the chances of him being contaminated, for lack of a better word, were astronomical. Jews ate different food than Gentile's. Uh, defilement or uncleanness was, it was almost contagious. If you touched something that was unclean, then you became unclean. And so for, there are all these rules, and again, you can go read about them in Leviticus if you want to, about the way you treat mildew and what, what your clothes can be made out of, and all kinds of rules on keeping separate. Staying ritually pure or clean. And, and Gentiles didn't follow any of those. And so if you went into a Gentile's house, you were going to be offered food. And most likely, it wasn't going to be clean. And so then you were defiled. And so then you couldn't go to the temple. And then you had to work through some offerings and sacrifices and some ritual to be clean. It was a huge hassle. So they just didn't even go. So it was very unusual for a Jew and a Gentile to be together in the same house. And so when these guys show up, God says, it's okay, you can go with them. I know they're Gentiles, but you can go with them. And I think Peter's probably starting to put some pieces together. The vision he saw was about food, but it wasn't just about food. I'm going to do a tangent because I can get on this soapbox and it's not helpful. But it drives me crazy, crazy when I see people kind of taking advantage of the Bible and of the church. It drives me nuts, especially when they're making money doing it. I'm thinking about over the last five, seven, eight, ten years within the church. There's been this huge push to talk about a biblical diet, or the Maker's diet, or the Hallelujah diet, or whatever you want to call it. Here is the biblical diet: kill and eat. That's it. That's it. There, uh, there is not one. There's not one. The Old Testament law has been done away with. There were foods in the Old Testament that God said you can't eat. He said don't eat bacon. But the reason he said don't, we don't know why he said don't eat bacon. It's speculative for us to try to figure out why. But I can just about guarantee you that the reasons why he told the Jews were not to eat, not to eat bacon had much more to do with them being distinct with from the nations around them and had nothing to do with modern Western notions of health. That didn't enter into the picture at all. He was trying to separate his people from the nations, and so he said, Here's the menu. Here's what you can eat. This is what differentiates you from them. He wasn't, he wasn't concerned about what we feel about health, if that makes sense. You can eat whatever you want. That's the point. Some of you eat like four things, and that's okay. You can do that. 100%. You are free in Christ to eat dandelions and pine bark and you can do that and you can eat rattlesnakes and squirrels it doesn't matter it doesn't matter at all you can eat everything off the processed food aisle he doesn't care at all what this tells us doesn't matter what you eat i don't want to move down that road too much because i can some of you have allergies and aversions and it's different pray for god to heal you and you you be smart about what you put into your body for sure. Some of you are super health conscious, and that's okay. You just make sure it's health conscious and not vanity. Vanity is a sin. Carbs are not. So you make sure. I'm serious. You, I don't want you here. You eat what you want. Don't hear me. I don't need any, anybody coming up after the service and saying, this is why I eat what I eat. I don't want you to feel guilty, and I don't want you to feel condemned. I want you to feel free. Free. There is no sin is missing the mark. There is no BMI chart in the Bible. It's not there. So I don't know how your weight fluctuating becomes a sin. Gluttony is a sin. One hundred percent. I don't know what it means to be five or eight pounds overweight. Who decided? Again, you be as healthy. I don't want you thinking or buying into this idea that there's a biblical way to eat and then what always comes behind that here buy this book and buy these DVDs and here's some supplements and here's some food it's uh, just don't or if you want to you can but God doesn't care does that make sense everybody good to offend anybody you're not going to raise your hand anyway if I did you can see Kim and she will she will help you know my heart behind what I'm saying uh, let me show this show that picture. Look at this. So this these are traditional Christmas meals. So all of these people are celebrating the same thing. And the point is that food is cultural. It's not biblical in that sense. Food is a gift from God. It has a very cultural uh, flavor to it. Not, that wasn't a good use of words. So Puerto Rico. That's what they eat for Christmas. They roast a pig. In Portugal, that's that's candied fruit, dessert. It's nasty. They eat codfish and roasted potatoes. Look at this thing right here. You know what that is? That's the head of a sheep. Ooh, that's what they eat on Christmas. They say, start with the eyeballs and the ears because they're the softest. So you can keep that in mind if you're ever in Norway on Christmas. Greenland, you know what that is? Whale blubber in whale skin. And the nastiest thing that they eat, how about this? Y'all know what an auk is, A-U-K? Little bird? So they take baby auks and they stuff them in a seal skin, like a seal carcass, and bury it. And when they die and start to rot, they dig them up and that's what they have on Christmas morning. <laughs> Merry Christmas! So, can you imagine? <laughs> but God doesn't care. He doesn't care. Food is cultural. In Eastern Europe, no dairy, no meat on Christmas. They're observing a fast. A lot of fish and a lot of grains. All that's just to say that it's all cultural, and I want you to be free. So you be free. You eat organic, or you eat carnivore, or anything in between. I just don't want you to think that God is, is backing a meal plan, and that makes you do this. Food is a gift from Him, and we're meant to enjoy it. And for many of us, it's a burden. It's a burden. It's not a gift at all. And our, lack of a better word, relationship with food is a huge, you think about it all the time. It's a stumbling block for you. And I don't want that to be the case. So you can ask the Lord what that looks like for you. All right, verse 24. The next day, Peter started out with them. Some of the believers from Joppa went along. We know from chapter 11, it's six guys. So six guys are with Peter. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. So this is the fourth day since Cornelius had his vision, or had the angel appear to him. Cornelius was expecting them. He called together his relatives and his close friends. Maybe a couple of dozen. We don't know how many people were there. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Peter made him get up, stand up, I'm only a man myself. While talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of the people. So there, the idea, maybe a couple of dozen, maybe more. He said to them, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. We just talked about that. It's not in the Old Testament. You're not going to find Jews avoiding places that could defile them. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Peter sees the bigger meaning behind this picnic blanket. It's not just about food. It's not even primarily about food. It's about people. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in the house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God's heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. This idea, you're bringing me something that I need. Then Peter began to speak. Two most important verses for us today. These are two of the most important verses in all of the Bible. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but but accepts from every nation the one who fears him, And does what is right. I now realize, this is spoken by a Jew, the chosen people. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him or the one who reverences him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all? You know what happened throughout the province of Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. The Jews killed Jesus by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about Jesus that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You're with it on that point, or up to this point. Peter's proclaiming the gospel He's not using the Old Testament because he's not talking to Jews, so his sermon is different than it is earlier in Acts. He's just speaking to them about Jesus. And when he gets to the point and he says, everyone who trusts in the name of Jesus can be forgiven, this is what happens. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, those six friends who were with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Again, we're not going to read chapter 11. It's just a summary of everything that we just read. So what you have here, Peter's preaching. And when he gets to the point that says anyone who trusts in Jesus can be forgiven, We see Acts chapter 2 replayed in Acts chapter 10. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon 120 Jewish men and women, and they speak in tongues and they praise God. In Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit is poured out on several dozen Gentile men and women, and they speak in tongues and they praise God. It's an exact parallel. Peter even says that when he's explaining this in Acts chapter chapter 11. He says, the same gift that we got, they got. It's God's way of putting his stamp of approval on these Gentiles coming into his family. These guys were not, they did not get circumcised. They did not start keeping kosher. They didn't even get baptized in water as Christians. Before any of that, in spite, despite, in spite of the fact none of those things had happened, God gives them this stamp of approval, the Holy Spirit being poured out upon them. And it's a very physical, very objective phenomenon. He wants, God wants everybody to know the exact same thing that happened to you Jews happened to these Gentiles. They're no longer second class. They don't have to become Jews in order to experience anything when it comes to following Jesus. You see that? So up to this point in history, there's been two groups of people, Jew and Gentile. All the way back to Genesis 12, when God says to Abraham, I'm picking you out of everybody on the face of the earth. I want you. And I'm going to make a nation out of you And that nation is going to bless other people, but you're you're it. And as you read through the Old Testament, it's hard not to see God playing favorites. I think he does. Israel is his chosen people, his holy people, his chosen nation. That's who they are. And what we see happening in Acts chapter 10 is there's still two groups of people, but it's no longer Jew and Gentile. Up until Acts chapter 10, if you wanted to be in the family of God, you had to become a Jew first. That was the only way because those were his people. And here were the rules around what it meant to be a Jew. In Acts chapter 10 with the giving of the Holy Spirit before any of these guys do anything. They haven't made any outward moves. They haven't changed anything about their behavior. They haven't changed anything about their allegiance or their affiliations at all. They're just the same guys that they were four days ago. Cornelius is still a righteous, God-fearing man who prays and gives to the poor. And so before anything happens externally, and who knows if anything happens externally in terms of his behavior, his allegiances, God says, you're mine. First Chronicles 16 says, God looks throughout the earth for anyone whose heart is fully his. That's who he's looking for. That's what we see here. Peter says, I get it. You don't play favorites anymore. You're looking for people who fear you and who obey you. And that's what these guys are doing. And the stamp of divine approval is the giving of the Holy Spirit. And so for us, again, ancient history, for Peter, it's this radical reorientation of what it means to be the people of God. It no longer means that you have to watch what you eat. That's not what distinguishes us as the people of God anymore. What distinguishes us is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. No longer do you have to jump through any hoops in order to be included in the family of God. All you have to do is believe in Jesus and you can be forgiven. Radical reorientation. Again, old news for us. It's new for them. So now there still are two categories of people in the world, but it's no longer Jew and Gentile. It's mission field and missionary. Everybody, all 7.3 billion people in the world are either mission fields or missionaries. There's no other option for us. Mission field, that's Cornelius. He doesn't know the full story yet. He's being faithful to what God has given him. He's being faithful to the light that he has. You can read the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 if you want to see that idea. God gives us some measure of revelation, some measure of light, some measure of truth. For those of us in this room, it's massive. It's five talents worth. For people in closed countries or in countries where the church is almost non-existent, it's one talent worth, maybe even less in some cases. But what he's saying is, what are you doing with what you have? Romans 1 says everybody can see something about a creator through creation and their conscience. He hasn't left himself without a witness anywhere in the world. And so what he's saying is, what are you doing with that? What are you doing with that amount of revelation, that amount of light? If you use it, if you're faithful to it, if you can get to the point, hey, there is a God and he's personal. There's some, there, there is a right and a wrong. I, I, I sense it when I do something wrong. If you can get there, he'll give you more. He'll give you more. He'll give you more. He does the same thing for all of us. It's almost like a flashlight. You've got one, and all you can see is a few feet in front of you, and you can't see farther until you take those steps. It's trust is what he's looking for. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. That's true for everybody everywhere. And we see that with Cornelius. He's faithful with the amount of revelation God gives him, so God gives him more. And so I hope that encourages you. If this morning you would say, hey, I'm, I'm the mission field guy. I'm not sold on Jesus yet. I'm not there. Let me encourage you. What, what do you have? What do you know? What have you been convinced of? Do you believe there's a God at all? If you do, do you believe he's personal at all? Do you believe he's good at all? Is there anything? Do you believe that Jesus actually existed? You're just not sure if he's divine. Like, what is it? What do you know? And what does it look like for you to be faithful with that revelation? And if you will, if you'll try to incorporate whatever truth that is into your life, I promise you he will give you more. He is more invested in your salvation than you are. If you'll give him anything, he'll take it. He'll take it and he'll give you more if you'll be faithful. The scariest spot is to say I'm out. I'm not seeking. I'm convinced Jesus never existed. or He's not for me. The consequences of that decision are incredible. They're eternal in terms of length. And they're horrific in terms of the depth of consequence. God is the source of everything good. And if you cut yourself off from him for eternity, then you've cut yourself off from everything good. And all that's left is wickedness and evil. You don't want that. My encouragement to you, if, you're, if you've kind of pulled out and said, listen, I'm not, I'm not seeking anymore. I have made up my mind. Think about it. Get, just ask him. Give him a chance. God, I'm, you know where I am. If you're real, show me. I'll respond. And he will in a way that you can understand. Those of you who love people who are still, you would say, they're mission field. They're not missionary. Take courage. Be Encouraged as you look at Cornelius. God went and got him. He'll do the same for your people. He's active. He never takes a day off. He's never on vacation. 2 Corinthians 4 says the enemy has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And that's what we're praying. God, open their eyes. Remove the veil that's been that's covering their mind that the devil has put there. We never have to say, God, go. He's already on the move. He's pursuing all of these people who you love because he loves them more than we do, Jesus. Said, we, still have the, we still live in this reality of being faithful to light that we have, but we shift and then we become missionaries. And that's Peter. He crosses significant boundaries to get to Cornelius. It's only 30 miles geographically. It's from here to the moon for him in terms of his understanding. He's never gone to a Gentile's house before. You don't do that. He's never eaten with a Gentile. Like, what are we... Everything for him is kind of crashing down. He's this new reality that God doesn't show favorites. He's just looking for people who fear him. Massive boundaries or hurdles, however you want to see that, that Peter has to overcome to be the one to fill in the blanks for Cornelius. And that's where most of us are. And so the question becomes very quickly... How am I, how are you participating in what God is doing in the world? He is on the move. He is grabbing people. He is pursuing people. He's revealing himself to people. And he is looking for folks like us to partner with him in that. He needs someone like Peter who's willing to go to Cornelius' house and say, this is what I know about Jesus. I don't even know why I'm here, Cornelius, until I show up. I don't even know why I'm here other than the Holy Spirit led me here. What do you want? This is what I want. I want you to tell me what you know. You know something. You've been given something. How are you using that to further God's mission in the world? You can pray. Please do. best thing I've done in the last five years was six months ago, I started praying five days a week. That's not to pat me on the back. I'm just telling you what I do. Praying five days a week for people who don't know the Lord, specifically for people in this city that don't, and generally for the nation's. We have missionaries in several countries, and I've been way more committed to praying for those people. Not just for the missionaries, but for the people in their cities. It's changed my life. It'll change yours, too. However often you pray, incorporate prayer for the lost, specifically for people you love. And I would say especially, and this is for most of us, is the stretch. Pray for the nations. Two-thirds of the people in the world don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. One-third's never even heard. Two-thirds, have, are, are not, they're not in the family, at least. That's billions and billions of people. Let's begin to pray. You can grab a card from one of our missionaries. You can get a book. It's called Operation World. There's a thousand ways you can pray for the nations, but begin to do that. Whatever, your, whatever prayer looks like for you, I'd encourage you. Give. Everybody in here, don't hear this as guilt. But a challenge should be supporting at least one missionary. You can do it. 20 bucks a month. Just do it. You don't have time. If you give here, then you can take 20 bucks out of what you give to us. It's that important. It's vital for us. Where your treasure is, your heart is, and even that little bit of treasure will begin to pull your heart towards God's desire to win the world. This is a side benefit. Some of you are anxious and you worry all the time. You worry about your kids and you worry about your finances and you worry about your future. If you'll begin to pray for the nations, you won't worry as much. Because it'll take your problems and it will put them in perspective with what's going on in the world. That's a side benefit. Don't do it for that. But that'll be the result over the course of several months. You won't get as stressed out about the things that are working you over right now. Pray give, go. Go. Some of you need to get on a plane. You don't need to come back. It would be better for all of us. It wouldn't be so hot in here. You need to do that. Most of you are not going to get on a plane and go forever. Go for a week. We'll do that. We can do short-term trips. But you can help mobilize people. That's one of the ways to give. Remember, Peter just traveled 30 miles. You can go even within... This city. We've talked before. The three major strongholds in our city are busyness, money, and exclusivity—racial, economic, and social. Old Marietta versus everybody else. Those barriers can. Be, he's asking. He's looking for people who can cross those barriers. Who's willing to cross the barrier racially, economically, or socially? He may be asking you to do that. It was difficult for Peter. It may be a stretch for you as well. But he's asking you to participate in what he's doing in our city, in our world. You can do that. You don't have to get on a street corner. You don't need a megaphone. You don't need a track. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. He's looking for witnesses. This is who I know Jesus to be in my life. It's all he's looking for. He's already working in their hearts. He's just looking for people to fill in the blanks for him. And you can do that. Let's pray. I was reading this book it's called it's interesting it's written by a Southern Baptist guy we're not Southern Baptist he's a mega church pastor we're never going to be that but they do some things really well this is so interesting to me it's located um, it's got a lot of college students from Duke and North Carolina I think that attend his church and so every year in May he says to them will you give me a blank check Will you let me help you determine where you need to move to pursue your career? And will you make that decision with mission in mind? We need a new church in this area. Would you you go there? That kind of idea. And I was reading that going, who thinks that way? Who thinks that way? Who bases where they live on where the gospel needs to be proclaimed? We think of that only in terms of the... 1% who are international missionaries. We never consider that for ourselves. That idea that says, God, your your mission is more important than anything that I'm doing. And ultimately, even selfishly, I'm going to be most fulfilled when I'm partnering with you, when I'm fully living into my calling. At this guy's church, when they do baby dedications, one of the questions they ask parents, how about this one? If God... Cause your child to a dangerous place? Will you get in the way or will you support? That's one of the things that parents commit to. They, they commit with babies to say, God, wherever you want to take my kid, you can take them. Can you imagine that? For most of us, that's so far from where we are now. I don't want you to hear any of that as condemnation. But just this sense that says, God, we want to get our heads up. God, I pray for us that we would get our heads up. That we would begin to look at what you're doing in the world and we would recognize, God, you've brought the world to Cobb County, Georgia. You've brought it here. You can drive down Powder Springs go to East Cobb. We can see the world is here. God, what do you want? How do you want to use me? Pray that in your heart if you're willing. God, what does it look like in my family for me to pray? What does it look like for us to give? What does it look like for us to go? Students, simple. When you go to lunch tomorrow, what does it look like for you to go? Maybe don't crowd in 14 kids around an eight-kid table. Adults, what does it look like for us? Across racial economic, social barriers. God, would you speak to us? Would you lead us? Again, Guilt is a terrible, terrible motivator. And so I don't want anybody feeling guilty. But God, if you grab our hearts, if you ignite us for what you're doing in the world until we die. So God, would you captivate us with your great love, not just for us, but your great love for others. Would you move us with compassion to break out for me as an introvert to step out of my introvertedness at times to engage and at other times as an introvert to relate to people in a quiet way. God, we're serious about seeing our city changed and seeing our county changed huge part of that is more people saying yes to you, Jesus, and then beginning to wrap their life around your values. So would you start with the men and women in this room? In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to have uh, ministry teams here up in the front. We'll pray with you about anything at all that you have going on. If the whole food, body, health thing is an issue, we'd love to pray with you about that, that God would set you free. And that uh, you could, just that God would set you free. If this whole idea of going or mission, how you fit in, if that's something God's stirring in your heart, we would love to pray with you about that as well. So you guys can stand up. Ministry teams, y'all can come forward. It's cooler in the front if that encourages you to come forward for prayer. And Bo will dismiss us.